Hello everyone, my name is Steph, I'm one of the pastors here, if you're new or, or, or visiting and um, for the next um, a little while together we're going to be opening up the Bible and um, I'm going to be speaking um, from the Gospel of Luke today. So let's just pray and commit this time to the Lord. Uh, Father, just want to say thank you for the privilege of being able to gather like this together. It really is, um, well Lord we know that it benefits us more than we'll ever know, but Lord the, the bit that we do know we're grateful for. Just mutual encouragement and just the way that you make your presence known, that you are here. Let me don't see you with our eyes. Thank you for the way you make it known to us, your presence among us as we gather, wherever we are. And uh, I just want to ask, Lord, that, um, that you would do something very wonderful through this message, that you would, you, you would take it and make it more than it could ever be naturally. I want to pr- ask you that, um, that the Holy Spirit would... Um, do something in people's hearts that really needs to be done, just that you would speak the word that needs to be heard, um, that you would give the insight that needs to be seen. Uh, Do pray, Lord. We do so need your help. We feel it. We're aware of it. We need your help. So, uh, yeah, just take this offering, Lord, and and I pray that you'd make it so that it brings life. Amen. Amen. So this is the last one in our current series. Obviously, next two weeks we're not here. Did you hear that? So don't come. <laughs> uh, please do join us for the march. It's a great demonstration of um, unity. It, you might ask yourself, walking up Camden High Street with other Christians and a donkey, um, it's, kinda, it's a hard sell, isn't it? I know it's a hard sell. Um, unfortunately, I will be in Poland with Levi visiting the Rileys, so I, I won't be able to be there. But I've been, I've been to two. And can genuinely, can genuinely say that I can, I can see the genuine value in it. Um, so please, I would ask you to try and engage uh, with, with, with not just us, but the other churches as, as we do that. Um, there is something, I, I do genuinely believe, you know, it may not be the coolest thing in the world, but I don't think anyone ever got saved through being cool. I think people do get saved when they see something authentically uh, Christian. And I think that when we gather for the sake of Christ... That that has an impact. So would ask you to, to engage with that. And also to be able to sell it. Those of, who was at New Life last Easter when we met Sunday morning there? It was a great time, wasn't it? It's such great uh, family celebration time. And um, so all the information is on, on the leaflets, but please do engage with that. So, but this Sunday is our uh, last time together for a few weeks, and it's the final one in our Road to Jerusalem series. What we're doing is we're... Have you, as you read your Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible, four accounts of Jesus' life, you'll find that there's a moment comes where... One of the gospel writers phrases it like this, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. There was a moment where Jesus knows now's the time to head towards Jerusalem uh, in order to be crucified. And he predicted what would happen, so he knew what he was going for. And um, what we're doing is we are, we are looking, well, for the last two weeks and today, we're looking at people Jesus met on the way, encounters with Jesus on the way. And today it's uh, Zacchaeus, the story of Zacchaeus. If you've been at Sunday school at all, then it's one of those stories you get told a lot. You might be here, never had that, and think, I've never heard of the man. Well, that's good, actually. You're probably at an advantage, because it's a very surprising story. And if you've never heard it before, you'll probably catch the sense of surprise that should be in there. If you're over-familiar with it, then you probably, well, we know what happens. Okay, well, try and imagine for a moment that you haven't heard it before, if you can. It's a very surprising story. Um... Bear in mind that in the run-up to this in Luke's Gospel, um, just before this, um, Jesus met a rich man 
who wanted to find out more about eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life was what he asked. And, and Jesus told him some of the commands. He said, I've kept them all. And Jesus said, okay, well, here's one thing you lack. You know, give up all your possessions and give them to the poor and come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. And, um, uh, and, and he walks away sad. And then after this, we see Jesus meets on the road to Jerusalem a, 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 a blind man who cries out to Jesus to be healed and Jesus brings sight. So we've had a rich man, we've had a blind man. In the story of Zacchaeus, we have a rich blind man. And a bit. So the idea with Zacchaeus in the story we're about to read is that this is a very, very lost man. Different images that Luke uses to describe lostness. Luke's a big one for God's heart for the poor. You read the Gospel of Luke, you'll find out he's very negative about the rich and very speaks a lot about the poor. He's, he's very strong on that, Luke particularly. Uh, and so you've got a rich man, it's a lost man. You've got a blind man, again, coming to Jesus for sight. It, it, it's an actual miracle that took place physically, but it speaks of a lot more than that. It speaks of Jesus being able to open the eyes of our hearts so we can spiritually see. But then you've got Zacchaeus who is rich, not physically blind, but you'll see by the story that he's blind in a certain way. And then some more on that. So let's read the story. Luke chapter 19, um, verse 1. Are we good to go on the... I'll, I'll wait for an affirmation. An audible affirmation. I'll wait for a... Nothing's coming. What was your suggestion, Rebecca? Is it a mysterious one? Sometimes, sometimes our laptop, you know, church laptops. There we go. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Rebecca, you're doing a wonderful job. You're doing great. Thank you. And so are you, Dave. And everyone at the back who does not get enough, enough recognition for all your wonderful help. Week in, week out. Thank you. Right, here we go. Luke 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho, Jesus, and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small of stature. So you've got a crowd lined up, and he's a short man, so he can't see. He's blind in a sense. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man, that's Jesus' favourite title for himself, came to seek and to save the lost. Don't you love that? I love that. So, Zacchaeus was very, very lost. That's what Luke wants us to realise here. We've just had the story of the rich young ruler, then the blind man. Now we've got a rich blind man who's not just rich, not just blind, he's a traitor as well. He works for the Romans. If you were a tax collector, you worked for the invading, occupying force. 
and you extracted money from your own people for the Romans and probably kept some for yourself. So you are a traitor, which is another image, picture of a lost person. That the Bible says that there's something treacherous in all of our hearts. In that sense that we, we've turned away from the one who made us and who sustains us and we've gone our own way. We've, we've kicked him in the teeth, figuratively speaking. These are images of lostness, to be blind, to be rich in and of yourself without him, to just be a hoarder, a storer, someone who just continues to gather to yourself that insatiable desire for more for me is, uh, is, is, is the kind of images the Bible uses for those who are lost and treacherous. So Luke wants us to know, this is a story about a man who is very, very lost. If Jesus can save this man, guess what? He can save, can save me. It's important that he can save you, he can save me, because this man's beyond help. That's the point. Luke wants us to understand that. That's why it's so vivid. That's why it's so, that's why layer upon layer of lostness Luke's building. And it's no mistake that we're getting closer and closer to the cross, because the way Jesus saves you and me is because of the cross. You see, it's all building up. It's, a, it's, it's going somewhere. And so now we've got Zacchaeus. Oh my goodness, this man is beyond help. No, we're going to the cross so we can be saved. Jesus is heading to, to, to the darkest place. Why? To reach the people who are in the darkest place. And pull them out and bring them into the light. That's what he does. That's what he does. Now, what's quite interesting about this is that we are not actually told... Zacchaeus' motives in all of this. We're told that he wanted to see who Jesus was. But Jesus was famous. Where Jesus was, there were crowds. And so he wanted to see who Jesus was, but I mean, it could be for all kinds of reasons. I've I've put together two uh, psychological profiles of Zacchaeus. Alright? Theory one. Theory one. And then I'm going to show you the futility of it. But anyway, theory one. Old Zacchaeus, he'd, he'd grown tired of his life of riches. He, he'd, he'd, he'd tasted all the world had to offer, and it had come up blank. And he was on the edge, edge of desperation and doing something really, really silly when suddenly he heard, Jesus is coming. And in a last ditch attempt to find spiritual meaning, he climbs the tree. The weights of his worries pulling him down as he scaled the sycamore tree. Managed to look over. Jesus, seeing the desperation in his eyes, says to himself, this man really is seeking me. And invites himself round for dinner and saves him. Theory one. Now, I want to read you... Sorry, I forgot to get a little book out. Can you get a little paperback out of the satchel there, please? Um, actually, I can get it. I don't want to make funny hissing noises. It's fine. Those hissing noises I make when I'm angry. Oh, that's a joke. Uh, right, um, so here we go. Listen, this is an interesting book. Affluenza. Anyone read it? Affluenza? What's the matter with you lot? It's supposed to be, uh, it's supposed to be culturally on the front foot. So he's been quite clever. He's taken the word affluent and taken the word influenza, the, uh, the, the long word for flu, and he said that due to riches, we're ill. Um, so he, he makes some interesting points. Um, he basically blames um, capitalism. Um, he blames systemic. He blames systemic structural problems in society for it. As Christians, we understand that there is something much deeper than that going on. That the reason why systems and structures are how they are is because of the human heart. But then, once you have established 
structures that aren't helpful, that then perpetuates and you get a cycle going on. But anyway, that's, he, he, he's not a believer. Um, he has some very interesting insights and fascinating interviews with very affluent people. But he just was interviewing this uh, multimillionaire who just said this. He just said many years ago when I was in, this is the multimillionaire speaking, when I was in Haiti, one of the poorest countries of the world, I was struck by how extraordinarily happy everybody looked, full of joy and laughter, bursting into song. And when I came back here, New York, I noticed the peroxide blondes of Fifth Avenue hopping in and out of their husbands' limousines with drawn faces and worried frowns. It struck me then that there's very little connection between affluence and happiness. It's just an interesting thing. I think all of us recognise that to um, go down the road of uh, material possessions, bringing happiness in and of themselves, uh, um, is a flawed approach to life. Um, so you can look at Zacchaeus in that way. Zacchaeus had reached that, that point where he realises money doesn't work. Here's the second psychological profile of Zacchaeus. He's a man who knows how to benefit from strategic relationships. He's worked with the Romans and he's realised that through that he's, he's climbed up the ladder and even though he's a Jew in a country that's been invaded by the Romans, he's learned how to work with them and as such he's now a very happy, satisfied, rich man. He eats well, he dresses well, he lives well, he's enjoying life, but Jesus is coming to town who's an even, wow, we've heard about Jesus. You get near Jesus, all kinds of amazing things happen. Jesus could be the next rung up the ladder for me. Jesus could be the next thing for my life plan, for my five-year plan to make it, to be an incredibly popular and rich. Jesus is the one I need to get a look on him, and I need to, I need to try to gauge this man and then co- find his weak point and come in with an offer that Jesus himself can't refuse. And then me and Jesus will we'll walk together into greatness. But we're not told what his motives were. We're not, we're not told that he was spiritually hungry. Speculation. We're not told, and I think it's deliberate that we're not told. We don't know because we're not told, because Luke isn't wanting to tell us about Zacchaeus and his motives. He doesn't want to tell us about Jesus and his salvation. Because if, if, if it's theory one, and you have to get to a place of some kind of desperateness, and then Jesus will respond to you, which I do believe happens in many cases, but if that's what is being taught here, that has to happen, then, well, I'm not saved. Because I never had that experience. In fact, aged 16, I made a conscious decision not to follow Jesus. And when you know the gospel and decide not to follow Jesus, you're making a very, very clear decision. And my own story is that two years later, when I, if you'd asked me how I was doing, I would have thought, well, there's a few things that aren't going perfectly, but I don't feel desperate spiritually in any way at all. Jesus mysteriously broke into my life. And I became a Christian. You see, this is about the power of Jesus. It's not about... that Jesus can reach a complacent person. He can. What, Jesus can reach someone who's opposed to him. What about the Apostle Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, who was on a mission to persecute Christians when Jesus just decided, I'm going to save you, I'm going to just save you. He didn't even ask his permission. He just saved him. He just. Uh, but, but Paul spent the rest of his life grateful... Because he realised, I was blind, but now I see. This is the point, you see. It's not about, are you like this, are you like that? That's secondary. What's primary is this, is that Jesus has not just come to town, Jesus has come to his planet, and he's saving people. And he can reach you regardless of where you are at. 
I love the way Jesus does this. Jesus invites himself round to his house. Jesus is very bold. Did you notice this? This isn't very... Those of us that are English, we don't do this kind of thing, do we? It's like, yes, hurry and curry down. Hurry, hurry and come down. Hurry and curry down. I don't know if they're curry. Hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. I must stay at your house today. It's very bold. It's an extraordinary thing. But I love what it conjures up. The image is this. Is that actually, you know, Jesus isn't that interested in, in, in people going to the house of God. I'll say that again. Jesus is not that interested in people going to the house of God. Jesus wants to come to your house. You see, you can go to the house of God. And it's, oh, this is why I go to the house of God. But what, what is your house? What is your life like? I go to the house of God, but yeah, no, no, what's, what's your house like? Yeah, because I can come to the house of God and I can, I can sing, I can do, the, you know, and people think, wow, he's spiritual. What's my house like? What's my heart like? What, what, what's it like for the people who live with me? Well, you see, Jesus, I want to come to your house. And I want to make your house brand new. I want to make your house brand new. I want to come and um, bit by bit transform your house, your life, your home. Really the whole thing. So it's not this uh, dichotomy, I've got got the Jesus bit or the God bit and then I've got my stuff. No, no, no. Jesus says, I'm going to come to your house. What do you say? It's very bold. It's very, very bold. You better make sure he is who he says he is if you're going to let him because he's going to come say, right, (laughs) right, okay, I want to help you. I want to help you get get your house in order. It's a really good thing. It's not a thing to be feared. It's a really, really good thing. It's um. There's an there's an urgency as well. Listen to this, Zacchaeus. Hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. It's very urgent. Now, as I'm preparing this, I'm thinking, gosh, how do I how do I preach about urgency? Because I don't want to come across as the foaming at the mouth, you know, rabid preacher. I don't want to do that. Um, I don't want to come across as unreasonable. And I think sometimes in an attempt at that over, uh, over the years, maybe at times, I've soft-pedaled a bit, and I think I've got to stop doing that. Because it doesn't reflect truth. It just does not reflect the actual truth of the situation, which is this. God calls us to attend to the things of God, the things of our soul, the things of our walking with him as an absolute priority. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. It's a scripture. If we just look at uh, this scripture, please. Um, In a favourable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favourable time. Now is the day of salvation. There's another day coming, the day of judgment. It's talking about an age. It's using the word day. It's talking about an age. There's the, there's the day of judgment when it's no longer a day of salvation. It will, there's a time coming. Jesus told parables which talk. There's a time coming where the door closes. So we've got to attend to it. And this isn't just for those of us in the room who maybe you're saying, I've, I've, never, I've never come to Christ, I've never given my life to Christ, I've never become a follower. It's hugely urgent for you. I tell you, it's hugely urgent for every one of us. 
In fact, a lot of the warnings about complacency in the Bible are geared towards believers. Those who call themselves believers say that you can just, you need to be careful that, um, here's the scripture, Hebrews 2 verse 1, it, it, it says this, um, it's talking about how great Jesus is, and he says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. There's, there's, there's a call on everyone to pay really close attention to the gospel. To pay really close attention to Jesus and, um, and what he says and what that means for our lives. And it only gets boring when you stop applying it. It only gets boring when it just becomes like spiritual platitudes. It, it, it's just boring then. But it, it's kind of a bit scary but really exciting when you are in the coalface trying to work out, Jesus, how do, I, how do I learn to live with you at the helm? And it's not comfortable, but boy, it's exciting. Because you're done working out how to actually, how to live a life that looks like the kingdom of Jesus. Where we just need a constant ongoing transformation, we're helping one another. It's real team stuff. It's incredible, it's powerful, it's, it's, it's liberating. But it's, it's real life. And it's important to say every now and then that if what you're actually after is just some kind of spiritual platitude so that you can then get on and do your thing in life, you need to forget Christianity. It's the wrong faith. You need, I don't know, maybe you get, pick up Aesop's fables or something from somewhere and just read that in the morning. Don't, don't, don't bring Jesus into that. It's not, it's not honouring of him. It really isn't. It's, it doesn't honour who he is. He's Lord. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's all his. So it's so important that we understand this is what's going on. This is why Jesus can say, come down and come into your house. Why? Because it's not his house, it's his house. I remember reading somewhere at some point, the most distressing thing, the most distressing moment in a child's life for a parent is when they learn their word, mine. (gasps) No, it's not. No, it's not. It's his. It's his. It's all his. And then there's the grumbling, of course. The grumbling's key. You find a lot of grumbling around Jesus. Mostly religious people. Because it's totally, totally... It didn't fit with what they thought. They thought Jesus came for the good people. And we pray and we're so good. So Jesus has come for us. And now he's, he's actually stopped. And he, actually, and he knows his name. And he's invited that guy down. They grumble. How the self-righteous hate the gospel. That's basically what it is. It's basically, if you see Jesus love someone, and you go, there's a problem there, and the problem is this. You have a root of self-righteousness in your heart. You've basically put yourself in a different category from that person, and you think you're better than them. And so deep down, you kind of think, I can't probably know why Jesus loves me. But them... Whereas actually the, the Bible teaches that God's love is so extraordinary that it extends to the unlovely of whom I am the worst. You know, you, when, you, when you start walking with the Lord, you begin to see the things that are in your heart over the years. And sometimes it's shocking and sometimes it's mortifying and sometimes you think, oh man. <laughs> but you think, but you still love me, well, therefore it can't be about what I'm like, it must be about what you're like. God is love. What 
extraordinary, strong, forceful, torrential love that breaks down the barriers of fear and pride and love of self and breaks through with the blood of Jesus and brings us into the heart of God. That's the love of God. That's the love of God. It's extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. The gospel is the great leveller. We all come together at the cross, right? We find our righteousness by his gift. Jesus is reaching outcasts here. He's reaching people that you think is surprising. It's shocking. Why? Because he's going to the cross. He's about to become the ultimate outcast. He's about to be you crucifying him outside the city. It's his city. It's the city of the great king. It's Jerusalem. It's Zion. He's the true David king. It's him. And they throw him out and crucify him outside. Wow, what's going on there? Well, he's rejected so we can be brought in. That's the gospel. He embraces that. He embraces rejection, being an outcast, and he embraces the outcasts with him. And he brings them into his kingdom. Which is why the Bible says you need to embrace the reproach or the disgrace of Christ if you're going to follow him. It's part of following him. You follow the crucified man. It doesn't always sound cool. People don't get it. It's wonderful. It's life in all its fullness. Now here's the most extraordinary thing about the whole story. What on earth happened at Zacchaeus' house? So they're all grumbling. And this thing we know, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, I'm going to give half my stuff away to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to repay them fourfold. Hold on. Jesus, what did you do? What did you say? Luke is conspicuously silent here. You see, Luke's really thorough, he loves details, he's methodical, dunk, dunk, dunk. Hold on, Luke, you've just, well, hold on, Get, let us into the house. What happened? I'm not telling you. That's deliberate. Luke would not forget that. It's deliberate. You see, Jesus says different things to different people, but he knows what to say. He knew what had to be said to Zacchaeus. Maybe it was just, get the disciples round We'll have some dinner. Let him see how we are together. Maybe it was psychological profile too. This man who had learned how to have relationships based on what he could gain from them and how his relationships could make him move forward in life. Just to say, if that's your mentality, um, Jesus really needs to help you with that. It's not good. Maybe that was him. And suddenly he goes to dinner with Jesus, famous Jesus. And then he sees his disciples and thinks, who the heck are this lot? You've got James and John over there still arguing about who's going to be the greatest. You know, you've got Peter, you know, Peter doing his, doing his thing, speaking up way too loud, way too soon. Or, all the time you've got Thomas saying, I'm not sure I really believe this stuff. You know, I mean, what is this? But it's the kingdom. And maybe that whole thing just breaks him down and he says, I'm in. I don't know why I'm in, but I, I've seen life. I've seen that the, so the king has gathered these people to him and he's showing them what life is. And he's drawing them into community based around him. And I want it. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? We don't know. But something happened and he said, you know what? That was extraordinary. There's no sense at all of Jesus saying, you know, you better give half of your stuff away to the poor. There's no sense of that. There's no sense. But he just stands up. So he's obviously been, they've been reclining, eating food. They used to just lean and very relaxed. Over there. He stood up on everyone to hear. And he says this extraordinary thing. It's stunning. It's absolutely stunning. He steps out of his refuge. His refuge had been riches, obviously. Riches was his thing. He just steps out of it. So I'm leaving it behind. Not just in word, 
radically. I'm leaving it behind. I'm going to give half of everything I own to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone, if, yeah, all right. If I've defrauded anyone, just say I did. I'll, um, I'll repay them fourfold. It's extraordinary. It's a wonderful, wonderful moment where you think, oh yeah, you've really got it. It's the fruit of salvation. It's justice and generosity. This is, if, when you get saved, when you come to know Jesus, something changes, right? And suddenly you care about stuff you didn't before. Justice and generosity. I've defrauded people, justice. I want to put it right. I remember going, to, going back to shops that I'd stolen from and confessing. I mean, embarrassing. Embarrassed like 12 years ago. I stole this stone frog from your garden centre, put it on the till. And it's humiliating. Broke into a garden centre, aged about 14 mates, and it sat in a garden convicting me of sin for my first 12 years of a Christian life, looking at me. You need to return me one day. I thought, I've just got to do it. And other things, going to police stations and saying, I did this. And you just wait. You just wait for the, you wait for that they decide. You're in their hands. Justice. Well, God was very merciful, but you just, you care. Why? Because you met Jesus. It changes you. And then generosity. Half I've got, I'll give it to the poor. But you haven't robbed or, so no, I just, I just want to be generous. It's, wow, that's what it looks like. There's a horizontal element to salvation. It's not just, oh, I'm with Jesus now. No, I, I, I care about my place in the world now. I care about how, it, it, I, I understand now that I've been, my place here has a bearing on others. And, and, the, and that what God has put me here for, he's not saved me by my good works. We've got, we're clear on that. He's saved me by the work of Jesus on the cross. But he saved me for good works. That's, I'm here now to be a blessing. You see? And it's interesting, Jesus, we'll look at Jesus' response in a minute. But, you know, he makes this comment about he's the son of Abraham. God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. And Zacchaeus says, I want to be a blessing. What? That's an overflow of salvation. That's what happens when you know Jesus. Supernatural. It's the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, and there's fresh desires. Things. Wow. What is that? It's just the fruit of salvation. It's a. It's a good thing. Um, I won't do the frozen illustration because time doesn't have a. So we won't show the frozen image. Time doesn't allow. I know. I know. I want to make a point that on a physical financial level. Zacchaeus is losing a lot here, but there's no sense of him losing a lot. Notice that. There's no sense in which he's like, it's going to be tough, guys, but, you know. Well, no, it's like, it's like the story of Jesus tells us the man who finds the pearl in the field. <gasps> and, then, and then buries the field, goes and sells, buries the pearl, goes and sells, it'd be hard to bury a field, goes and sells all that he has, um, so that you can buy the field, so that you can have the pearl. And, but it says, because of delight, because of joy over it. That's the motivation. Jesus has, has found Jesus, and there's just so much joy now. I want to give. You see that? It's the work of Jesus, what he does. And I love Jesus' response here. Jesus says, this is the real deal. This, that's salvation. We've got to understand this, that we mustn't reduce, we mustn't be reductionist. You reduce becoming a Christian to praying a prayer. 
Oh, you've prayed a prayer, now you... Mm, no. Becoming a Christian is saying, Jesus, I, I want you now to be the Lord. I, I want to embrace you as the King. And as the lover of my soul. And, and, and I want to, I want, and in that moment, the Bible says that there's a rescue that happens. The Holy Spirit comes and He just kind of, He gives a brand new heart and He rescues you. But it's the beginning of a journey where you're working out, okay, Lord, I've ha- I'm having to unlearn however many years of living without you. I'm having to unlearn however many generations that have learned how to do it our own way. I'm having to unlearn a whole value system that I'm immersed in. But I want to do it. And for those of us who carry particular burden for the, the structural, the systemic things, you think, how, well, we've got to change them. Well, I think this is how it happens. I think individual hearts and lives are radically changed. And out of that, there's an overflow out which reaches others. And God raises up people to, in, in those various realms and, and things do change. If you just follow through church history, you'll see that it's a heart revolution that happens and the knock-ons go on forever because at the, at the, at the heart of every systemic structural problem is a human heart issue. And so the, the new covenant is, is that there's this revolution of human hearts which then it has to knock on to everything you touch. It, this, this is the thing with your workplace, your home life, your relationships, what you're doing when no one's looking. The kingdom has come. And so it touches everything now. And it's not always dramatic. Jesus said it's sometimes like a bit of yeast in a loaf, but it works its way through the whole loaf. But it's those little decisions. I remember when I was first a Christian, just, was just these little decisions that I made that they kind of seemed... In the moment, I thought, I'm kind of feeling torn up inside about this, but anyone looking on would say that's quite minor. But it was an interesting thing, because it was a heart issue that would just sort of, my heart might have been that way on an issue, and Jesus would just say, let's just do that. But where that goes, and where that goes are very different places. And so you wrestle it through, and you think, okay, and you do it, and it's just a piece that comes, and you get on with it, but then you can look back years later and say, man, God, I'm thankful. And I think one of the, one of the maybe the, the, an area for us to just kind of um, finish on really is, is, is to say one of, the challenge, one of the huge challenges we have on a kind of physical, natural level living here for many of us is the challenge of money. It's a very real challenge. Um, and, you know, there are, there, are, there are people among us in our number that would be, you know, if you go to bed... With a full stomach, you're, you're grateful because it's not always like that. There are others among us, your life is nowhere near like that. And yet you're still aware of pressures in that area. Maybe it's that you would love to stay in this area and buy one day and you don't know how on earth you do that. It's a very different issue to this other person that's part of us, but it can still weigh heavy. And actually, it's, just to be honest with you, those of us who help to lead the church here, it's quite, not easy to speak into finance when you have a group of people with such different situations and circumstances. And I think sometimes maybe we've stepped back a bit because we've not even known quite what to say. Maybe particularly me being paid by the church makes it even more complicated. But I do think we probably need to... It's something over these next couple of years. I, I would love to help us as a church in terms of faith for finance. It's a faith issue. 
Okay? It's not, it's, budgeting and all those things are really important and we do stuff to help with that. But it's actually a faith issue. That's what it is. Um, learning to trust God with your finances and learning to let the gospel and let Jesus' teaching get into that area. It's genuine spiritual warfare. Genuine spiritual warfare. It really, really is. Um, we need to be aware of it. And we do want to uh, teach, teach on this and teach well and teach in a way which reflects the kindness and the mercy of Jesus. There are so much, there's such a variety as well of Christian experience in the room. Some of you here, you've, you've, you've been in church maybe a while, but it's, the money's never really been spoken about. Others of you, we know you come from situations, you think, money was the sermon every week. Please don't turn us into one of those churches. I'm aware we've got such a spectrum. God has brought us together. God will help us find a way through. But there will need to be courage on our part as leaders. And I would ask you to pray for us in that. And that we would just really get to the heart of what Jesus is teaching rather than just adding bits on or even, no, keep straight what Jesus taught. And that he will help us come through to a place of real faith, uh, real generosity, um, real joyful sacrifice, real abundance so that we can give more. Yeah, the kingdom realities of, of finance, are, yeah? Because that's a big deal. Okay. Um, I just, what I wanted to do, I just wanted to somehow um, help people to respond out of this message before. If the bank come back, and then you're, you're ready at action stations to uh, help us uh, with a song. Can we just stand? Is that all right? I just want to help us to respond to this message. I'm just going to pray. If, if, just, it would just help me if those of you who just know and love the Lord, if you just, when I'm praying, just, you know, in your heart, kind of draw near to Him as well. Then I, I just feel it'd be good to do a response, but I don't really know what to do. So we'll just pray together and ask Him for wisdom. So, Lord, thank you for this incredible story. This man who was so lost and he became so found. It's, it's, it's wonderful, Lord, not just for. Those in the room who have never experienced being found by you, but those of us who have, I just say, Lord, I want you to find me all over again. <laughs> I just want, you know, Lord Jesus, I just want to, I want to be around you. I want you around my house. Lord, when you, <laughs> I want you around my house. I really do, in that sense, like around every, every part and um, bringing in the kingdom. That's what we want, Lord. Bringing that overflow, that joy. Oh, Lord, do help us. Do help us, I pray. Do help us. Do help us, Lord. Do help us, Lord Jesus. Help us to find you in the crowds, Lord. Help us to help us help us to like sort of spiritually speaking, get up the tree. Help. It's going to require a little bit. We got to. We want to get. We want to. We want to make ourselves conspicuous to you, Lord, so that you will stop <laughs> and say, "Come on in." So, Lord whatever, Lord, whatever the mixture of motives in our hearts, help us as we just get near to you and get a, try to get a look on you, Lord. Help us. Help me, I pray. Help us. Help me, I pray. I know for many of you that know and love the Lord, as we respond now, uh, as we take the bread and take the wine, you, you kind of you know what to do. And I want to just say, do it, you know, pray together. Take the bread and the wine. Be earnest. Be... You know, find Jesus, climb that tree in that sense. Uh, there may be some of you here, you don't have the first idea how to climb the tree. You know, you think, ah, oh, I'm here, but 
you know, you, you, you want Jesus. Something has happened in your heart, and you just want you want Jesus. And um, uh, or maybe you've you've known what it is to know Jesus, but you, you know you're what the Bible describes as someone who has backslidden, someone you've, you're not where you were. You, you, you know that, and and you want Him to help you get back involved in that. You know, and you can come and join us, Lord. We're about as impressive as the original disciples. You'll be probably relieved to hear. Um, but we, we really are. We, we're, we're thrilled with Jesus. And we want to just help those, maybe those two categories of people particularly, because you may not know, you may not know what to do. Um, I don't even know what to do. I don't want to deliberately embarrass people or make a public spectacle for the sake of it. I don't want to do that. Lord, please help us just help people pray. Lord, help us. For those who are in the room right now who just know it's a moment, they just know this is a big one. This isn't just more of the same. This is a, there's a U-turn of some sort involved. Help us to help them, Lord. Help us to help them, I pray. Help us to help them. Oh, Jesus, give wisdom. I'm going to just, I probably I shouldn't, I'm just going to wait for a minute, please. Spirit of God, show us what to do. I'm going to just, I just feel that the best thing to do would be to just tell you that, that the Bible says that if you call on his name, if you really call on his name and you mean it, right? He hasn't got, you haven't got no the right words. His name is Jesus. That's the right word. All right? Call on his name. He'll save you. Right? And you'll know it. You'll know it. And all I want to ask is, is that if you do that during this next couple of songs, I simply want to ask that you either let me know. Or let someone you came with know. Just say, this is what I did. You say, well, why is that? The reason why is this, is that this is not a, this is not a journey you do alone. We, we walk together with Jesus, with disciples, and we help each other. And we can help you. Just pray with you, encourage you, take bread and wine with you. But um, that's what we'll do. So we're going to sing now. I want to urge us, let's church take bread and wine straight away. The way we do this, if you're a guest here, is we simply help ourselves to the bread and wine down there during the singing. If you don't know anyone here, if you're totally by yourself, then um, you can absolutely, you're very welcome to go and do that by yourself. But those of us that are part of the church, keep your eyes out for anyone you don't recognise who looks by themselves. Invite them to go with you. They're free to say no, but invite them. And um, we will take bread and wine in community and meet with Jesus together freshly. Amen. Amen.